And a good Saturday morning to you. 7.45 means it's time for a wine chat with our friend Jack Farrell from our locally owned Haskell's. One of the places I hang out from time to time, as a matter of fact. And it is. It is. For those that don't know, I mean, Haskell's has been around a long time. 84 years. Wow. We've been supplying the vineyards needs of the Twin Cities, and we continue to do so. Today I thought we would talk a little bit. I've had an awful lot of questions over the past two or three weeks on rosés. And rosé as a category has just absolutely exploded. In fact, I was at a reception the other night, and they only served rosé, which I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, I haven't seen that before. But uh, at any rate, there is so much interest in rosé. And, you know, rosés are relatively new. Historically, most wines were kind of a rosé color before technology, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But rosé is a relatively new phenomenon. They've always had rosé in different parts of Italy, France, uh, and Spain, etc. But they never ever exported any, and it was just a local tradition. In the springtime, you'd drink a little rosé, or the summertime it was refreshing, and you could chill it, etc. It wasn't really till World War II when the Portuguese got on the bandwagon with two wines, Matus and Lancers, and boy, they were staples. I mean. They sold millions and millions of cases in this country, and Americans fell absolutely in love with those two Portuguese rosé wines and and drank a lot of it. As I said, they sold millions of cases of it. Well, then along came another innovator, the Sutter Winery out in California, and they introduced something called White Zinfandel. What happened was Trinchero, who owned it, had a batch of Zinfandel, and they frankly had a lot more red wine than they had white, and the big demand was for white wine. So he decided he made this pink wine, and he made it kind of sweet. We called it White Zinfandel, and we were off to the races. And then, of course, that White Zinfandel became enormously popular, but it diluted any taste for anybody for rosé because everyone assumed rosé wines are all sweet. Well, they aren't at all, as is evidence, is how they're selling today. And the wide varieties, uh, the flavor, aroma, I mean, they're so different in the different rosés. You just can't lump them all in one category. There, there's all sorts of wonderful places rosé comes from. Actually, France is probably the mother load of all rosés because the rosés of Provence are some of the most popular in the world, and also the most popular in this country. Those wines are made predominantly from the Grenache grape and uh, produce wines with a lot of character. Uh, of Provence wines, uh, for example, that uh, Brad Pitt and his former wife had a Rosé Chateau Miravel from Provence, a Whispering Angel from Provence. Uh, so there's a lot of Provence, provincial wines. There's one called Meadow in Provence, which is a wonderful wine and comes in a, a bottle that can be reused as a carafe. It has a glass stopper in the top, and you can reuse this motto in Provence for a flask for water or for other wines that you want to put on the table. It's a nice plus. And then, of course, the Rhone Valley produces tremendous amounts of rosé. Uh, all the virtually every co-op that makes Cote du Rhone now makes a Cote du Rhone white and a Cote du Rhone rosé. 
And those are generally bargains, and the wine is very, very good. And, of course, the Rhone Valley gives us the most famous rosé in the world, and that's Tavel. In the little town of Tavel, that's all they make is rosé. And it's just about 10 miles from Chateauneuf-du-Pape where they make this wonderful Tavel. And Tavel, I always tell people, it's a red wine drinker's rosé because it has more body, <clears throat> terroir, and more aroma than any other rosé. It's a big, bold rosé, sort of rustic, if you will. And that's what makes it so appealing. So Tavel is another one. Then, of course, the Loire Valley in France produces the, one of the most famous rosés, Rosé d'Anjou, from the town of Anjou. And those rosés are wonderful. They're a little softer, have a little more residual sugar than the rosés of, say, Provence. But they, again, are extraordinarily popular. And for that matter, every single French wine region produces rosé. And evidence of that is the most expensive and popular of all the champagnes are rosés. And then, of course, Italy makes lots of rosés. And Spain makes lots of rosé. Portugal still makes a ton of rosé, etc. Those are all available. <clears throat> the good news about rosés is it's very, very hard to find a rosé over $25 a bottle. They're, and they shouldn't be. They should, they're wines to be drunk early on. They're wines that should be affordable. And they're wines that should be quaffable. And that goes for all rosés. And and indeed they are. And whether they come from Germany, Austria, Switzerland has a rosé uh, that's kind of funny. It's called Eye of the Partridge. And the reason it is, it's such a pale color. You know, rosés run from a pale onion skin to almost the same color as red wine. Uh, that whole variety of ranges of color. But that Eye of the Partridge in from Switzerland is one of the most popular uh, rosés in the entire world. And like I said, rosé is relatively new. It really didn't get started till after World War II as, as a definite category. And as I said, those Portuguese rosés just swept the country. And today, everybody makes rosé. And the exciting news is uh, whether your favorite wine is from, say, California or Oregon or New York or uh, Texas, they're all making rosés, too. One of the most popular ways to make a rosé is called saigné. Saigné in French literally translates bleeding. And that's how they bleed the wine. They take the wine off of the top. And they do saigné with a lot of wines. And then they use that wine, that light rosé wine, for topping up the, the barrels in the cellar and things like that. So it isn't wasted. And sometimes they make rosé out of that saigné. And that's a very popular way to make rosé. What gives wine its color is the grape skin. Virtually all wine runs colorless when you squeeze the grape. And uh, rosés are made by staying in contact with those skins anywhere from two hours to 48 hours. Uh, and 48 hours is the outside limit. Two hours to 20 hours is more common for making rosés. And this uh, Seigne bleeding process gives you wonderful wines. Rosés are rarely, rarely uh, made from blending red wine with white wine. That just isn't done. It, again, the rosés get their color from that skin. And <clears throat> that's why rosés have to be drunk young, too, because the skin is what really gives uh, wine's ability to age. 
the tannins and the phenols that come in the skin are the aging properties of red wine principally. And so rosé should be drunk very, very young, and as I said, quaffed and enjoyed, and not fussed over. Some of the colors you get with rosé, people will use words like melon, cantaloupe-colored, peach-colored, red currant, grapefruit, mango, uh, or pale onion skin. There's all sorts of adjectives that describe the colors of rosé. And it's the same thing, true when you're talking about the aroma and the flavor of rosé. They're always influenced by the type of grape that make it the rosé. For example, if you've got a rosé from Spain, uh, generally it's made from the Tempranillo grape. You get a rosé from uh, the Rhone Valley, it's the Grenache grape. And uh, that's exciting news, too. Uh, one of our favorite suppliers in the Willamette Valley in Oregon is a winery called Second Growth, and their Pinot is absolutely voluptuous. They have just introduced a Second Growth Rosé that also is voluptuous. It really is a ticket. And as I said, while you may think I'm overdoing the French thing, the French have really influenced rosé and rosé production more than anybody else in the world. And they produce a lot of rosés at very, very reasonable prices. As I said, Provence makes them, the Loire Valley makes them, uh, they make them in the Rhone Valley, particularly in Tavel. And then, of course, the French champagnes, if you want an expensive Dom Perignon, get Dom Perignon rosé because the regular Dom Perignon is a lot cheaper than the rosé. The same thing is true if your favorite is Tattinger or Bouve Clicquot. Rosés are much more expensive than the white wines. But I think you get the idea. Rosés here to stay. I think at the moment we have over 85 rosés in the Haskell stores alone. I mean, there's just rosé from everywhere, and there's a good reason for that. It's delicious. And as a long, long time red wine drinker, I tell you, there is nothing on a hot summer day that's better than a cold glass of rosé to whet your appetite before a meal. I think it's one of the great aperitifs of all time. And I think you ought to try it. We've got a hot day coming up, a hot weekend coming up. Father's Day is coming up. And Father's Day, traditionally, you might buy Dad a bottle of scotch or his favorite barrel-aged bourbon. Why not surprise him this year with a rosé? You might find he likes it. Yeah, and as a matter of fact, well, you've brought this up on a number of occasions. You don't have to get a uh, – we used to think of it as sweet, really sweet. But, boy, you can find some great – I love that uh, Brad and Angelina, uh, Angelina's uh, – uh, uh, rosé from Provence. I Chateau love Mirabel, yes. yes. And that motto in Provence, which is half the price of Chateau Mirabel, that comes in the reusable craft, is delicious too. And you're right, they are dry. You know, we all have this image, including myself, for many, many years. When you think of rosé, you think of white Zinfandel or something that's very sweet. Today, good rosés are, as I said, with the second growth coming in, it's a rosé made from Pinot Noir, and it's voluptuous. It's mm. a really remarkable, delicious wine. And uh, why not try them? I, I, think, I think you'll be pleasantly, pleasantly surprised well, if you've had a bias against rosé. Try one of these drier, new rosés. And they, as I said, they're not new. They've been around forever but they're new to our market, and they're new to people who say, ah, rosé, my grandmother and my aunt Tilly drank rosés. That isn't for me. 
try them. I think you'll find out you not only like them, but you might find out that's your new favorite aperitif. And you can find all sorts of good things at any one of the Haskell's locations, Jeff. Indeed. All the Haskell's that today are going to be pouring rosé wines for you to taste, and they'll have at least four to five rosés out to show you the absolute phenomenal difference there is in rosés. There's a Haskell's near you where you can save big dollars on gifts for Dad, and it doesn't have to be rosé, but that would be nice. You can buy Dad a bottle of aged scotch or barrel-aged bourbon, and I'm sure you'll love it. And you can get those at all the Haskell's stores. There's a Haskell's near you where you can save big dollars on your favorite rosé, Haskell's in Bloomington, Chanhassen. There's a Haskell's in Excelsior, Haskell's in Faribault right off of 35. Our super seller up in Maple Grove is not to be missed. In downtown Minneapolis on Saturday and Sunday, we have free parking. There's a Haskell's in Minnetonka, Plymouth, St. Paul's Island Village. And, of course, you'll find the Haskell's in Stillwater, White Bear Lake, and Woodbury, too. And if you can't come in, go to Haskell's.com or go to WCCO.com slash wine. It'll take you right to the Haskell's where you can peruse our 16-page summer sale catalog. I was doing that just the other day, as, as, as Steve Kennedy says, I, as I'm wont to do. Well, <laughs> Jack, we'll talk, let's talk next week, can we? You know, Denny, I'm going to look forward Me to that. Me too. Thanks so much. Jack Farrell from Haskell's. We'll be back with another wine chat uh, next week.